Good morning, church. Good to see you on this Lord's Day, and let me add my voice of welcome to you. So good to see you. So good for, for me to, to be gathering with you and worship. In over 35 years of, of ministry, I have spoken about the importance of labor, the importance of work on a Labor Day weekend, I think only twice. And yet today it seems so important for us to go there because we are facing the greatest disruption in our work since the Second World War. Amid amid the upheaval caused by the pandemic, we know that work will never be the same. And even if we can't foresee all the ways in which it will be different, the change has already begun. For instance, 80% of workers are indicating today that they are doing their jobs differently. Before the, the pandemic, working remotely or working from home was still somewhat stigmatized. If you had told others that you were working from home, they probably gave you a strange look as in, you can't be serious. Now working for home is not only completely normal, but we have learned that it is also highly efficient. We're also experiencing one of the largest job shifts in more than a generation. For one, baby boomers have been retiring since 2012 But retirements now among that generation are coming quicker and in greater numbers because after the pandemic, they simply do not want to return to work. There are high turnovers everywhere, from Wall Street to Main Street. A survey put out by Microsoft this past week showed that 41% of employees worldwide were considering quitting or changing professions this year. That's such an interesting thing to think about when we think about past generations. My father, for instance, worked for one company his entire career. That's not so much the story anymore. Today, millions of people are not not only changing employers, they are changing their professions, and yet there is also this major mismatch going on between the kind of jobs that are available and the kind of work that people are doing. In addition, there is also a widespread shortage of workers. Tell me if you've experienced that when you've gone out, either to a store, retail, or to a restaurant, or elsewhere. As of Friday of this past week, there are 10 million job openings, while there are 8.4 million workers that are unemployed. In other words, there are more job openings than there are workers to fill them, and 94% of retailers are having trouble filling those positions. Many restaurants are closing or not open during maybe hours before the pandemic like lunch because they simply do not have enough staff. And some people in the service industry are no longer willing to go back to, if you will, those areas of service where they've experienced harassment or maybe the rudeness of customers, people aren't interested in going back to a system that is failing or where the wages are low, especially when the government seems to be paying more for you to stay home than go to work. So many complicated factors. And somewhat related to the shortage of workers, there are other reasons as well. A staggering number of Americans are simply unhappy with their jobs. 
Some report that at 43%. I've seen it as high as 77%. And the fact is, even before the pandemic, the number of those unhappy in their jobs had been rising every year. I can hear Johnny Paycheck's song in my head. Take this job. I always thought it was rather ironic that a man by the name of Johnny Paycheck would sing a song like that. How you going to get your paycheck, Johnny? That was my best attempt at a joke. <laughs> it's, it's not just that work is hard and manual labor is exhausting and management is stressful and office politics are so distressing. We have lost something in our entire approach to work. Things are out of whack. We are facing an existential crisis of which problems in the workforce are only a part of the slice of the problem. So many things seem to be broken, and yet every single one of us wants our lives to count. We want there to be significance in our daily labor and work. We want to be able to make a contribution, and so take your job, take your commute, Take that to-do list, including grocery shopping and errand running and gas pumping and meal prepping and exercising and grass cutting and bill paying and dog walking and attending meetings at church and school and volunteering at, at important places around our community. Let's call all of that work. And we can work at a paying job, but we can also toil without pay, parenting and studying our work, but we are not paid in wages for either one. Could you imagine getting paid to study? You can be retired from a job but still be working. The point of all of that is that work, of however we may categorize it, represents a lion's share of our lives. And so the question is, and this is where I want you to walk with me for just a few moments this morning. How do we find meaning in our work? And the answer to that question, to the work crisis that is behind us or around us, is theological. Whatever the problem, I'm convinced the solution is always theological. When we forget God, everything gets fractured. And so we need a, a, a renewed approach to work and to labor. And the Bible, as it does in every area of life, shows us the way. It outlines a path for you and for me to be renewed in what we're doing every single day of our lives. And so let's simply think about a few fundamental realities from the opening chapters of the Bible. Some of this will feel very basic, but it is so important for us to go back and to be renewed in this world by the habits that really do matter. From the beginning of our Bibles, we see God at work. The opening verse of the Bible says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And during that creative week, what do we find God doing? We find him designing and sculpting and engineering this world. And he is working with vision and energy and originality to make a world that is filled with grandeur and beauty. God makes the mountains and then he steps back and he looks at them with great delight and pleasure. 
That's something of what work should do for us, that when we do toil, we can look back over what we have done and experience a measure of delight. That's why I like cutting my grass, because I can preach a sermon and have no idea what I just did or the impact that it may make. But when I, when I push that mower, mower over a line of grass, I can look back and say, oh, I just did that. That's pretty cool. God is in the same way when, he is, when he's creating the world. He creates a universe, and he looks back at it with delight, and, and then he sustains it daily. God may have stopped the act of creating, but he is still working. And Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 17, my father is working until now, and I am working. And in the opening scene of the Bible that depicts God actively creating, when we come to the sixth day, what does he do? He comes to the pinnacle of his creation, and he makes us. He makes us in his image. And God said in verse 26 of Genesis 1, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And notice he gives this responsibility of work to, to all of us, to all of humanity, male and female. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We work because we are made in the image of a working God. So God has put his very essence into us. And so this longing to be creative, this longing to make a contribution, the longing for our lives to count and for our, our work matters comes because we have been made in his image. And so this drive to solve problems, to build projects, to, to plant gardens, to write books, to design machines, to fill cavities, to teach students, all of that comes from the fact that God has made us in his image. And no one should expect work to be easy or work to be without resistance. More about that in just a moment. But we work because God established our identity to be a mirror of his own. Genesis chapter 2 verse 8 goes on to say, And the Lord God planted a garden in, the, in, in, in Eden in the east, and there he put the, man whom, put the man whom he had formed. Excuse me. Verse 15 goes on to say, The Lord God took the man, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And there we simply see God delegating to humanity the role of filling the earth, of subduing it, of stewarding it. He puts the man and the woman in the garden so they could cultivate a space for human flourishing. All of work should have that, that vertical effect where we are replicating what God has done. And we're taking responsibility for what he has given to us. And then we cultivate it on his behalf, but in which we are also serving others. So we are made in the image of God to work. It is central to our makeup. That's why work is not everything, but it matters. And our work matters to him. That's why being unemployed is so hard. If you are 
disabled and unable to work. God understands that. But there is a degree in which whenever we stop working at whatever age we may be, we stop being alive. And then in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve rebelled. And you know the story. You know what we call the fall of humanity when they rebelled against the word of God and determined to go their own way. And God curses the ground so that the work of every kind became inherently frustrating. Read in Genesis 3, verse 17, Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. We really don't need to unpack this because we all experience it. Sin distorts and disfigures Every form of work. You experience stress at work. You come home at the end of the day, and it sort of just comes spilling out as you tell your, your spouse or a friend or a roommate what your day at work was like. Well, that's, that's because of sin. And that's why sometimes work itself feels like a curse. It's not, but sin has disfigured it. And even the best job has its moments of gloom and despair. Even the best job wouldn't exist apart from the fall. Think about that. Some of our best professions exist because sin entered our world from doctors to first responders to police officers to forensic accountants to insurance agents and undertakers and used car salesmen. They're all the result of the fall. I was teasing on that last one, but you, you get it. Well, there are several truths I think we can simply glean from the opening chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 3. And, and while we could probably spend three years looking at chapters 1, 2, and 3, here's a few things just for us to hang our thoughts and more our lives upon. First is the truth that God honors all kinds of work, from manual labor to mental perspiration. By working with his hands, Jesus was a carpenter. He dignified manual labor. By his teaching and his writing, the Apostle Paul showed that God values mental effort. God honors every form of honest work. What Martin Luther and later the Puritans would say or call legitimate work. Yeah, there is a work that is not legitimate. But in all honest work, God shows tremendous dignity. One of my seminary profs, Dr. Neil Anderson, who wrote that best-selling book, The Bondage Breaker, probably took more classes from Neil than any other professor while in seminary. And so I don't know how many times I heard him say that God doesn't give one holy grunt whether you're a grocer or a surgeon because all of it is dignified in his sight. All of it matters. The second truth is that there is a difference between an occupation and a vocation. 
And really, Scripture itself from the very beginning has, has brought this to us, that an occupation is simply a job. It's what you do to make a living, but a vocation is a calling that you have from God. And that's what we see in Genesis chapter 1, is that God has given to men and women, male and female alike, a vocation, a calling, and he then sends us into all kinds of different work. God calls people to be engineers and teachers and pastors and bankers and architects mechanics and event planners and postal workers and sous chefs and bakers, whatever the realm, where there is honest, legitimate work, that, that is a work, a calling that comes not only from God and for God, but also done in the service of others. And so we need to recover what the church has too often forgotten, and that is whatever God has called you to do, that work is sacred. It's holy. There is no demarcation in the Bible suggesting any form of legitimate work as being more important than another. Or to put it another way, it is a myth not supported by the Bible that some work is spiritual and some work is secular. Now, it's all dignified to the Lord. It all counts to him. And most Christians... And this is true for us, isn't it? Do their best work, not in the church or in the cathedral, but in the marketplace, in the running of a home, in operating a food truck on the street. Remember the book by, by Brother Lawrence, Practicing the Presence of God. And if you read that little volume, you'll recall that the main point, the main thesis of that little volume is that we can, is that we can wash dishes or we can flip pancakes all to the glory of God. It's the devil who makes us think that work is just a job and not a calling. God sanctifies all of it. And what's striking in all that we see in the opening chapters of Genesis is that every form of legitimate work is part of the package of what it means for us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to serve our neighbors, to love them, and by our acts of service, and not merely pushing our way to the top or seeking to advance ourselves through a promotion or get our way there. Before the pandemic, people everywhere were sacrificing everything on the altar for their careers. And some of you may have been caught up in that kind of rat race. It seems to me, as I'm just paying attention to the signs of our culture, that people are saying work matters, work does count, but I don't think I want to go the route to say that work is a god and work is everything, and it's worth sacrificing everything else in life for. Maybe we're experiencing something of, of a recorrection there, an adjustment, so that we understand that while work matters, it's not everything. Because even as I, as I think about what I heard about China's hyper-competitive middle-class culture, employers are working what they call 966 weeks from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six days a week. They're just plugging away. And God wants us to see that there are many other things in life more important than vocational progress or, or moving up the ladder or waiting for that next promotion that seldom brings with it the gifts that we were expecting. Work is not everything. It does not ultimately validate our existence. 
It is not the source of all meaning and satisfaction. A career doesn't give you a hug, but our work matters when we understand why we're doing it. There's a story of three medieval stonemasons and a visitor who came along one day and watched them at their work. What are you doing? The first mason was asked by the visitor. He said, I'm cutting stone. A second mason chimed in, well, I'm making a living. And how about you? The visitor asked the third person. He said, me, I am building a cathedral for God and his people. It was his perspective. Some work with a narrow perspective simply focused on the task at hand. Some work only watching the clock and thinking about the wages that they'll earn. But those who understand what they are doing understand that they are working, believing that it is for God and for others, and that transforms how we approach what we do every single day. So church, do you want to be renewed in your work habits? You want to be renewed in your vocation and your calling when you show up at your office or at the garage or at the ice cream stand. Offer all that you do for the glory of God and for the good of others. Money is not even mentioned in the opening chapters of Genesis because money is just a product, byproduct of what we do. Your work is as vital a part of your spiritual life as reading your Bible in prayer. And that needs to be remembered by because we tend to eject Jesus from our work because we don't think he's there. But what we understand from those opening chapters of the first book of the Bible, he is there when you are drawing up a project proposal, when you're showing someone a new sofa on the showroom floor, or when you're painting the exterior of a home. God wants to be a part of every single minute of your day, and he is with you. When you're going over the homework with your kids or coaching their soccer team, practicing the presence of God and your vocation every single moment. Anyone, I suppose, can tell when you don't like your job, when you hate what you do, and some don't even fake it to make it, do they? I mean, you can walk into, at times, maybe your, your local price chopper, and, and you you start putting your, your grocery items on the turnstile, and it's almost like you are an unwanted interruption in the, the checkout person's day. Um, the Bible doesn't say that we work to live, but that we live to work in order to glorify God and to create a space where humans can flourish. So if you work in retail, if you, if you work at a restaurant and you do have to put up with rude customers, that's a part of the curse. But you are there to create space for human flourishing. I think that's necessary for every one of us to think about whatever we do, what it means for, for God's presence to be brought into that space every single day. And God cares about whether or not we bring our best selves to work. He really does. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, in writing to a group of brand new Christians, he's helping them see Jesus' presence in their everyday work. He said in verses 23 and 24 of Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. There is a divine reward for those who work well, who seek in their work to glorify God and to help others prosper. And what is so striking about that passage, if you were to go and to look at it in its entirety, beginning Colossians 3, verse 19, for through really the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, in that little pericope, in that little section, Paul is speaking to slaves. <laughs> and he is, he is encouraging these slaves, these first century slaves who are not working in jobs of their choice. And by the way, half of the workers of the Roman Empire were slaves. Paul is not endorsing slavery, but he is, in, he is addressing a social reality, and he is saying to them, as he is saying to us, that there is a way for you to honor Christ or dishonor the name of Christ and, and how you work. And Jesus is always worthy of your best effort and your best attitude. I had the privilege of, of speaking to the faculty and staff of Loudonville Christian School, our school this week, and, and we looked at that little vignette in, in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus and the disciples show up at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Martha, you'll recall the account, was steaming away in the kitchen. And she is hotter than the food because she's doing it all by herself and, and her sister wasn't helping out. And, and then she rebukes Jesus and tells him to get her sister into the kitchen to help her out. And, and Jesus gives those, those very endearing but soft rebuke to Martha when he says, Martha, only one thing is necessary. What's the necessary thing for you and for me when we do our work? But we do our work in the presence of God inviting him into it. So just as Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and experiencing the presence of Christ there, so also in your work and in my work, we are to experience the presence of God in what we do. And some of you may work for someone for whom you feel is not worthy of your best effort. You could probably say, Paul, if you knew my supervisor, if you knew my boss, if you knew the kind of person I have to work for. But here's the deal. As Christians, we have two bosses. You have an earthly boss, but you also have a heavenly boss. And Jesus is that heavenly boss who wants our best effort. Yeah, there are going to be those times when your earthly boss is not deserving, you think, of your best effort and attitude, but Jesus is. And he notices the work that we do. I have a book in my library that has been instrumental to me in, in helping cultivate a variety of spiritual disciplines in my life, from the value of, of Bible reading and Bible memorization to Bible meditation to the practice of worshiping together, of the practice of solitude and simplicity, the practice of sharing your faith, all of those vital spiritual disciplines. I've, I've had that book close by me for years, but there is one glaring omission in it. It says nothing at all about the spiritual discipline of work. And then amazing that the thing we do most, which consumes our days, we oftentimes dismiss as not necessarily a spiritual discipline, but it is. Work is a spiritual habit, and it's a spiritual habit because it is in what we simply do every single day that we become the hands of God 
himself. And for most of us, it is the place where we will love our neighbors as ourselves. And that's why we, as, as disciples of Jesus Christ, need to approach our work every single day as an honest vocation and calling from God. And he then promises that all the work that we do will never be in vain. So on this Labor Day weekend, maybe as some of you will have the day off tomorrow, some of you, thank you, will be at work. But when Tuesday morning comes, and whether it's in the classroom or whether it's in the office or at the workplace, when you go there, practice the presence of Jesus. Offer to God your best, but also remember that you are creating space for the flourishing of people everywhere. So go with him into all of your spheres and manifest the aroma of Jesus. Let's pray. And Father, how grateful we are for what you have done. First, as our working God, to create this magnificent space that we occupy, this world that has been made to reflect your glory. And Father, you are such an amazing worker because what you have done has no rival or comparison. And thank you, Father, that in your greatest work during that creative week, you made us. In your likeness, in your image, to reflect your purpose and your role in the world. And so, Father, you have given us, as those made in your image, this privilege, this joy of being able to work, to imagine, to create, to serve. To first, Father, bring honor to you, but also to help men and women and boys and girls prosper. We do this for the benefit of others. But Father, what can really renew our work? What can really reestablish this vocation in our lives is the realization that our work is as vital a spiritual discipline as even sitting in church and worshiping you on a Sunday morning. It matters. And Jesus is with us. And so, Father, as we are in the midst of this very strange season when so much about our lives is changing and so much within the, work, within the workforce itself is shifting, may we as the people of God manifest your presence there. And may, Father, we recall and remember that one of the most effective ways for us to be witnesses for Jesus is how we work and why we work every single day. And so we pray that Christ would be seen in us and through us for his purposes. And then for others, God, to benefit through our manual labor, our mental perspiration, and all that we do. We pray in the name of Christ and for his sake. And all God's people said, amen.
Pastor Mike is going to come and he's going to lead us in a time of communion, a time in which we recognize so clearly the very presence of Christ among us and all that he has done for us. Pastor Mike, come.